Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John continues his message from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, as he helps answer the question, how do we help someone who has lost hope? Sometimes in life, things can happen, and you just feel like a cloud of heaviness, of sadness, of hopelessness. It's just kind of like a fog sets in. And I've learned this. When that happens, the best thing to do is immediately to call a timeout on life and to get alone with God and just start telling Him how you feel. Now, He already knows, but there's something about just pouring out your heart to God because when you get finished doing that, you feel like, okay, now I've told Him. Now I have been to the only person who can really help me through this. And I've had time. This doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes that fog is very gradual and it's very slow to move. It's very slow in lifting. But I've had plenty of times in my life when I went to God like that. And I just began to pour out my heart to God and read a little bit in the Scripture. And at the end, normally what I always say at the end of after telling God all what I'm going through, I just say, God, I just put this in your hands and I trust you with it. And as soon as I say that, that's when the fog normally lifts. Just, it's like I can trust him. And so the faith and trust in him, the hope in him, just helps that fog to lift right off. And so remember this. When you feel like, man, nobody understands how I feel, let me tell you something. Jesus understands. You say, man, I don't have anybody to listen to me. You call your friends, and you, t- you, know, and you just think, well, they're there, but they don't really get it. Let me tell you something. Jesus gets it. And you could just pour out your heart and, and just he'll listen to you and he will begin to lift that fog. But the other thing I love about Jesus, the one, the one thing I was going to say that we need to do when we're trying to help people who are hopeless and sad, we not only need to show them that we care, we not only need to be a good listener, just let them tell us what they're feeling. Don't try to fix them, just listen to them. But at some point along the way, we need to help that person see Jesus Christ in the middle of their hopeless situation. There's something about seeing Jesus that that somehow, this is why our theology is so important. Some people say, well, don't give me any theology. Well, you, you can't live without theology. Theology, you know what the word means? It means words about God. Theology is what you believe about God. And so, What do you mean, don't give me theology? You have to have theology. And at the center of our theology, especially when we're going through a hopeless situation, is we must believe this. Even, and I can never say it enough, even now in this situation, God is absolutely and totally in control. You've got to believe that. Now, that doesn't mean when somebody gets cancer, God calls them. God's not causing people to get cancer. That doesn't mean when your loved one dies that God has caused that death. That doesn't mean when a divorce takes place that God caused that. God would never want that to happen. But it does mean this. In this fallen world that we live in, sometimes these things happen. And the, the teaching of Scripture that God is in control doesn't mean that God causes all this stuff, but it does mean that God allows it. Now, let me take that one step further today. Because we, we say this sometimes. God allows it. God allows it. God allows it. But God doesn't just allow it for no reason. 
God doesn't just allow tragedies and, 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 and bad things to happen in life to see how much pain we can take or how strong we are. God, anytime something comes into your life that causes you to feel hopeless, you've got to give yourself a wake-up call. You need like an aha moment to say, God has allowed this, and if he allowed it, he had a reason for allowing it into my life. Now, that reason, I, don't, I may not know what that reason. See, that's what, that's what puts you on that quest for God. God, I do believe. See, you start with your theology. God, I do believe you're in control. I do believe you have allowed this. I have no idea why. God, please tell me why. God, what are you saying to me through this? God, how can I grow through this? How can I come on out of this, on the other side of this, stronger in my faith, in my character, more like Christ? How can I... After you bring me through this, be a better representation of you than I was before I had this problem. So that puts, that puts you on a, a seeking after God. Now, God's not going to answer that question immediately. Most often, most probably he's not. Sometimes he might. But, I mean, we're talking about here a seeking and a searching for God that may last for months and even years. God, what is it that you're doing in my life? Or it may come more quickly than that. But nonetheless, it comes when it comes. We have to seek him and ask him for that. And so... We're trying to figure out, where is God in the middle of this mess? Because if he's sovereign, he's in the middle of it. He's got some purpose. Remember this. In the Christian life, nothing is incidental. Nothing is accidental. Everything is providential. And anything that God allows into your life, he's sitting in heaven, even if it's something he doesn't like. But people have free wills, and we live in a fallen world, and things happen. God in heaven says, I can take this situation that threatens to destroy your life and put you in a downward circle, and I can turn it around, and I can bring so much good out of this that you yourself will be amazed at what I've done in your life. That's what God can do. Now, on this day that Jesus is talking to these disciples... And he said, ought not the Christ to have, you know, to have suffered all these things and, and, and that he went through? And, and he's asking that question. But look in verse 27, because to me, this is where the story gets so interesting. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just wish it was a long, I wish this verse was about five pages long, but it's only four lines in my Bible. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, these Jews, these two men, they thought they knew the Bible. The only Bible they had back then was the Old Testament, but they thought they knew it. And yet as Jesus is talking to them, it's obvious to him, these guys don't know the Bible as well as they think they do. They don't understand who I am. They don't understand who the Messiah is. And so beginning at Moses, now why did he say beginning at Moses, because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the rest. So he just, got, what Jesus did, he began in Genesis, and he went right through Malachi, 39 books in the, Bible, in the Old Testament. And he began to explain to these two men where he was in the Old Testament. You see, when we think about the Old Testament, we don't think about Jesus, right? We think about, now, the Old Testament's about God, and the New Testament's about Jesus. Wrong. Jesus is God. The whole Bible's about Jesus. In the Old Testament, we get glimpses. We get shadows. We get prophecies. We get hints. We see Jesus, but we don't see him very clearly. 
in the New Testament, he is clearly revealed. He's in the flesh. He's easy to see, but in the Old Testament, not so much. And so Jesus says to himself, if I can help these men to see me in the Old Testament and how I was prophesied about back then, then they will understand that I needed to suffer, that I had to suffer and be crucified to pay for the sins of the world. And the reason I say I wish this verse was five pages long, I wish we had exactly what Jesus said beginning in Genesis and all the way through Malachi. That would have been an incredible thing to have heard Jesus explain to these two men where he was in all of the Old Testament. We don't know what he said. We can only speculate. In my sanctified imagination, I can hear Jesus saying perhaps to these men in Genesis, I'm the creator of the world. The very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm God, and I created the world. And not only that, in the book of Genesis, I am the seed of the woman. In Exodus, I'm the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, I'm the sacrifice for the sins of the world. In Numbers, I'm the bronze serpent lifted up on that pole. In Deuteronomy, I'm the prophet who's greater than Moses. In Joshua... I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, I'm the angel who appeared to Gideon. In Ruth, I'm the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, I was the one empowering David to defeat Goliath. In 2 Samuel, I'm the seed of David, and I'm the rock in an unstable world. In 1 Kings, it was my voice, the still small voice, speaking to Elijah. In 2 Kings, that mantle that Elijah passed down to Elisha, that symbolized my power. In 1 Chronicles, I'm the giver of every good thing. In 2 Chronicles, I'm the sender of revival. In Ezra, Jesus might have said, I'm the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, I'm the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, I'm the protector and vindicator of my people. He saved those Jewish people living in Persia when they had, there was an order to kill all of them. And you can just hear Jesus going right through all of the Old Testament, going through all those different books and, and saying who he was and all those things. Maybe he said when he got to Job, guys, do you know the verse where Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and his feet shall stand at last on the earth. I can hear Jesus saying, when Job wrote that, he was talking about me. In Psalms, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and I'm the one who walked with David through the valley of the shadow of death. In Proverbs, I'm the friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Ecclesiastes, I'm the one who gives meaning to life. In the Song of Solomon, I am the spiritual bridegroom. And then he got to the prophets. And he walked from Isaiah through Malachi, and he began to help these men understand these prophets who lived hundreds of years ago, they're making these prophecies. They're not all easy to understand, and they're not all clear, but now I'm going to explain it to you so it'll make sense. And he said in Isaiah, I'm the promised Messiah. I'm the suffering servant. I'm the risen king. In Jeremiah, I'm the potter working patiently at the wheel. In Lamentations, it is my mercies that are new every morning. In Ezekiel, I'm the one who brought life to the valley of dry bones. And in the book of Daniel, it was me. I was the fourth man in that furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those flames that the enemy intended to destroy them, I used to refine them and to purify them. Jesus is explaining himself all the way through. And then he got to the minor prophets, Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. And in Malachi, he said, I'm the risen son of righteousness, the healing in my wings. And he helped them to see 
himself in the shadows, those places that were hidden and those places they didn't understand. And that's what he does for us today. He helps us in our hopelessness to see that he is in the middle of it somewhere. And so the cure, really, for hopelessness begins with the Word of God, and it also includes the presence of God. Look in verse number 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, near to Emmaus. And he indicated, he explained to them that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, stay here, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Let me stop right there. On one of our trips to Israel, our guide was dealing with this passage. And he asked this question. He said, what was it about the meal? They're having this meal with Jesus that caused them to believe that he was the Messiah. Well, I never had heard anybody give an answer. I never even heard that question, much less an answer to the question. He said, here's what I think it was. He, he took the bread. He blessed and broke it. He reached out his hands, and he gave them the bread. And when, they, when he did that, they were able to see the scars in his hands. And they, this is, they had an aha moment. This is Jesus. He's, the, he's risen. He's alive. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. But what I'm saying is, after they had spent time in the Word of God, and now this time in the presence of God, look at verse 31. Their eyes were opened. That's what I'm praying this message will do today. That it will open somebody's eyes who is hopeless and sad and down and doesn't see anything good in your future. That God would open your eyes. And verse 32, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour. Now you see enthusiasm in these men. They returned to Jerusalem, back to the city of God, back to the people of God, now with a word from God. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And so they've gone from being down in the dumps to being excited to say, Jesus is risen. Now, you still listen? Say amen. What is the cure for hopelessness? Somebody here today said, John, you have described me, but what is the cure for this? I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The cure for hopelessness is to believe that God is able to take the worst thing in life and make a new thing out of it. There's nothing that could have been worse than the crucifixion, right? I mean, nothing's worse than death. And yet, what did Jesus do? He took the worst thing, and three days later, he made a new thing out of it with the resurrection. Now, today, the reason some here are down and hopeless is because you're facing, you're going through right now the worst thing in life. And you just think, man, but what you've got to believe is God is able to take the worst thing and make a new thing out of it. Friday night I was home and I read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Those are companion psalms, very short psalms. And three times between, in those two psalms, there are three verses that are virtually identical. And the psalmist is hopeless. Now think about this. Here's somebody who wrote part of the Bible. So it can happen to any of us. And the psalmist said to himself, you know you're, hope, you know you're bad when you start talking to yourself, right? He starts talking to himself. And he said, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why so disquieted within me? Hope in God. 
for I shall yet praise him. Hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. And as he put his hope in God, you can just see that cloud lift. You can see that fog lift. You can see that hopelessness vanish. And now he's like these two men. After they had been with Jesus, after they had been in the Word, what happened? It lifted, and they have hope, and that hope comes back to them. So the cure, really, for hopelessness is just this simple. To believe that God can take the worst thing and make a new thing out of it. Now, I want to share this story before I end today. As many of you know from the years that I've been here, and I've said this in booklets, and I've said it in plenty of sermons, one of the pastors who has influenced my life the most is Dr. Charles Stanley, First Baptist Church in Atlanta. He has two kids. One is a preacher, of course. Some of you listen to Andy Stanley on um, whatever means you would listen to him. And he had a daughter named Becky. And Becky has a son named Matthew. Dr. Stanley is one of his grandkids. And years ago, Matthew, in his early 20s, was a seminary student at Southwestern in Fort Worth. And he began to go through some hard times in his life. And he began to feel hopeless, like I've described. Remember I said, hopeless is not always, but it's normally caused something bad happens. And then because of that, we can't see anything good on the other side of it. Well, that's what he was going through. He's a seminary student. And so he's trying to deal with how he's down, and he's trying to deal with it. Well, he became buddies with some students who go to TCU, which is right around the corner from Southwestern. And he starts hanging out with them, starts partying with them on the weekend, starts doing things he had never done, starts drinking alcohol, starts doing drugs, and his life is just spiraling out of control. Quit seminary, and he's thinking about taking his own life. He's one of those one out of four in that 18 to 24 age group thinking about ending his life. Well, while all this is going on, his mother Becky tells her father, and he'd been praying for Matthew, here's what I'd never heard. One day, Dr. Stanley called Matthew and said, Matthew, I want to talk to you just for a second. I'm not going to keep you long. We're not going to have a long phone conversation. I can hear Dr. Stanley saying that. He was uh, always to the point. He said, but I want to ask you one question. You put yourself in this conversation. One question. Why don't you give Jesus another try? And Matthew said when his granddaddy asked him that question, he began to weep uncontrollably. And he said that question was what God used to turn his life around, to get him off the drugs and off the alcohol and back in with God, the church, and what he was supposed to do with his life. And when I read that one day this week, I thought, you know, Sunday morning I'm preaching on hopelessness. And there are a lot of people at home and there are a lot of people in the room if the truth be known, would say, John, that's how I feel, sad, down, unhappy, unmotivated, not excited about my future, and it's pulling me away from God, away from God's people, away from the Bible, I want to ask you the same question today that Dr. Stanley asked Matthew. Why don't you give Jesus another try? Have you ever noticed in life, it's sometime, and it, it shouldn't be this way, I guess it's just the human of us, but sometimes in life when things fall completely apart, I guess it's the devil who just says to us, well, you tried going God's way and God's way didn't work, why don't you try something else? And what we should say in response to that, you know what? 
This hadn't worked out. This is a hopeless situation. But I believe that God, in His own time and His own way, is able to take the worst thing and make a new thing out of it. And so if ever we don't need to run away from God, it's when things are going bad. That's when we need to turn to God. But for the sake of the argument today, let's just play like some here have allowed that hopeless situation to drive you away from God. Here's the question. Today, this could be the greatest experience some of you have ever had at church why don't you give Jesus another try and let him make something new and fresh and better out of every part of your life amen father I thank you that we have the cure to hopelessness and it is to hope in you That you really can take the worst thing, the unthinkable thing, the most painful thing, and make a new thing out of it and restore our hope. And God, when you did that that for these men, they're back in Jerusalem and they're back with the disciples and they're the ones preaching, Christ is risen, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. What were they saying in that confession? They were saying Jesus is greater than the grave. He's stronger than the devil. And he can, make, he can bring a new thing out of a very bad thing. So today in your life, what new thing do you need God to do for you? Would you just ask him to help you through what you're going through? And to just lift this cloud, this fog off of you. He could do it right now. And to restore your passion and restore your joy and restore your enthusiasm. God is a God of new beginnings. And God, I thank you for that. Some here today, it's not that you need to give Jesus another try. It's just that you need to give Jesus a try. You've been trying to deal with these things kind of like Matthew did. Maybe for you it's not drugs and alcohol. Maybe it is. But it can be a lot of different things we turn to. Why do we turn to those things? Because temporarily they kind of give us an escape from reality. I'm convinced that's what 95% of alcohol is. Probably what 95% of all immorality is. It's a temporary escape. That's what sin is. Sin is a temporary escape. But why would we turn to a temporary escape when in Jesus Christ we have a permanent solution? Today, some of us need to turn to Jesus in a fresh way. And some today need to turn to Jesus for the first time and say, Jesus, pray this prayer. Forgive my sins. Change my life. Lift this feeling of hopelessness off of me. Save me. Do a new work in me. Make me the person that you want me to be. Welcome to my heart, Jesus. I do trust you. I trust you not only for my salvation. I trust you for my future. I put all my hope in you. All my eggs in your basket. Sink or swim. Let me tell you what. You won't sink. You will swim. In fact, you won't even swim. You'll just ride across the waves of life in the Jesus boat. I trust you, Jesus. 
For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. We here at Peace by Believing encourage you to find a strong Bible-believing church in your area, to follow the Lord in your baptism, and to get involved in the life of your new church home. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message, along with many others, under the broadcast tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.